Welcome to Leaders with Ambition, the podcast that delves deep into the careers of some of the UK's most successful leaders working in professional services firms. We aim to discover the secrets behind their success, the challenges they've overcome, and to find out what traits make a successful leader. Hello and welcome to the latest in the Leaders with Ambition podcast series. And today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Nick Wallace, who is partner at Gerald Edelman. Hello, Nick. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be part of your podcast series. Excellent. Thank you. So, Nick, I think there's going to be a really interesting story that you share with us today. And I think, you know, some of the points that have really resonated when we've spoken is the amount of hard work that you've put into your career. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, is sometimes forgotten as people go from university to work-based life, that you do have to work incredibly hard. And you'll be sharing some of the highlights around networking and how you've always been open to opportunities to look for the next stage in your career as well. So looking forward to hearing more about this today. Nick, do you want to bring your career history to life for us? Yeah, absolutely. If I start with school, I went to um, one of the leading grammar schools in the country. And I think that's important because there was a real focus on on hard work when I went to school. And anything less than an A or an A star at GCSE was, was deemed not necessarily a failure, but that was the target. It was always about focusing on the highest grades. And I think that that sort of culture of hard work was was ingrained on, on myself and obviously my colleagues as well uh, while I was at school. And, and I think that that's quite an, an important thing to say. Not necessarily doesn't mean if you go into a different school, it wouldn't be like that. But but that's yeah. where my, my sort of idea of working hard and, and focus came from. Then went to university in Nottingham and studied finance and accounting and always been interested in, in the world of finance. During my uh, end of my second year of university, I managed to get an internship at Lehman Brothers. I actually left Lehman Brothers two weeks before banking crisis with Lehman's went went bust and they, they couldn't cope without me time. <laughs> yeah they couldn't cope without me I wasn't the cause of it I promise <laughs> so I was there for 12 weeks in the summer of 2008 which as you say was a really really interesting time absolutely fascinating and fundamentally was a real learning curve for me because although I hated the fact that I was working pretty much 20 sometimes 22 hour days um, right. including weekends the fact that it was a short period, I knew, always knew I was only going to be there for sort of that 12 weeks. It, that was really hard. I really struggled with that. But actually what it did is it that those long hours and the work ethic and that culture, again, was ingrained in me. Yeah. So that it's really, I think, helped me and stayed with me throughout the rest of my career. And yeah, I, I enjoyed the work uh, and I enjoyed the company. The fact that I was there in the summer of 2008 was an incredibly fascinating time. But I just, I just really didn't like the hours. But as I say, look, that's helped me with my future career, which I'll come on to to shortly. So obviously Lehman's then went, went under, um, had an offer to kind of join Nomura, who took over Lehman's after university, but decided that actually going into investment banking probably wasn't for me, not necessarily because of the hours, more because of the uncertain culture. I think I'd got my head around the hours by the time end of the 12 weeks, I sort of got used to it and sort of realised that if I was to start a full-time career in investment banking, the hours would get progressively better over the course yeah. of my career. And I said, could I, could I sacrifice the first sort of five or six years of my career and working those hours? And I think I sort of got my head around potentially, but then obviously that decision was taken away. You know, Lehman's went under no more. I decided that actually being in investment banking in 2008 was, or 2009 when I graduated was probably not the best 
the best idea. So I thought at the time... It's interesting, isn't it, though, Nick? Because if it hadn't been for the crisis, your path might have been very different then. It might, it might, it very well might have been, it very well. I don't know, I can't say, but it very well might have been. I think that I had this idea of going into an accountancy firm, hopefully one of the big four, qualifying as an accountant, because I was always told that opens up lots of doors. And then potentially moving back into the world of, of banking or M&A, you know, when I qualified after three years. So yeah. that's what I did. When I actually applied for the internship at Lehman's, I'd also applied for PwC. And I was fortunate enough to have both offers at the time. And I chose to go down the Lehman route. Fortunately, at the university I was at, there were lots of good people from PwC. And I was able to, to talk to them and managed to sort of get, get a graduate role without having to go through the whole process again and actually only going through a kind of a select interview process. So I managed to fortunately get a, a graduate job at PwC. Uh, that was in what they called the North London office at the time, which was based in, in St Albans. And one of the reasons I chose that office was because at the time I was actually quite, I was quite shy, I think. People that know me now probably wouldn't, wouldn't think that, but I actually was quite shy. And the PwC St Albans office was about 200 people, 250 people, versus the London office of, of thousands and thousands. And I thought that actually that sort of more homely environment would suit me and my personality better. I've known some people that had worked there and, and who sort of sold it to me and the opportunity to work across probably a bigger range of clients and doing a different, lots of different types of activities was probably more appealing to me and my personality. So long story short, I joined the graduate scheme at PwC in the St Albans office. Uh, I spent the first three years there in the audit practice. I really actually enjoyed it. I mean, audit has a particularly bad reputation, but but actually is a really good learning curve, a really good grounding. And you understand, uh, I did my exams at the same time, my ACA exams, but you really understand a lot about business. And particularly, I was fortunate enough to work across a number of different clients and different industries, different sizes. And I think that gave me, as you say, a really good grounding. As I was coming towards my qualification period, the economic market had picked up. It wasn't nearly as good as everyone had expected in 2009. Everyone thought that we would have recovered. And the idea of going back into the world of investment banking wasn't particularly appealing to me. So I was thinking and talking to a lot of people internally to PwC about what other opportunities there would be, also internally to the office I was in. A lot of my colleagues had also had similar background to me, been in investment banking and wanted to wanted to, to leave. And there wasn't, I wouldn't say peer pressure, but there was sort of a, a thought process across a lot of people that actually three years and, and, and you move on to something else. But I actually really liked PwC and I really liked the company and I really enjoyed working there and I wanted to stay. I had this idea of being a partner. And that was my aim from a very young age. So I could really want to be a partner. And when I started yeah. at PwC, it was, I wanted to be a partner at PwC. And that was my focus. And it was actually, for me, thinking about how can I help to shape to do that as early as possible in my career, even though I'd only been there for, for three years. I had an opportunity to move internally to um, one of the transactions teams after my third year. And, and I sort of communicated that to one of the partners I was working with at the time, who had indicated that he didn't necessarily think it was the best career option or career path for me. And that actually, if I stayed for an extra 12 to 18 months in the audit practice, there'd be opportunities for me to do more managerial roles and actually do those probably earlier than I would do in, in other departments or elsewhere. So I made that decision to, to do that and to stick in audit. And I stayed in audit for another 18 months. So 12 months into that 18 months, I got promoted to manager which was a really, really great experience for me because it was a whole yeah. lot of different skills. It wasn't doing stuff anymore. It was managing stuff and people and, and organizations and clients and projects and partners, working directly with partners, which was a really good learning curve for me. So and I'm really glad I did that now. I'm really glad I did that because I learned a whole lot of new skills that have set me up for, for future opportunities that came down the line. So I say I spent six months as, as a manager 
and then had another opportunity to move to actually a different department within transaction service in PwC, uh, more in the due diligence team there, doing some data analytics and modeling as well. And I really enjoyed that, had, had a fantastic time there, moved across there. And because of those managerial skills, I was able to come across in that manager role rather than sort of working my way up. And whilst I didn't have necessarily the grounding of the work, what they did and the technical skill set, that was something that I could learn. The managerial skill does take time and experience to do that. So I had one of the two boxes, I didn't need to learn both. So that, that set me up quite nicely there. I spent a few years there. Again, the idea was always to kind of grow, get promoted, be a partner. I was always thinking, not necessarily about my career, about where I am today, but more about where I'm going to be in five years or 10 years. So what people focus, and we see this a lot as well now, people focus on salary. What's my salary today? Can I get a 3% pay rise or whatever? And of course, we understand, I understand now, you know, working with a team of people, people need to have a salary to live on, of course, and people want to be rewarded. I want to be rewarded. Everyone wants to be rewarded. But I think that for me, my focus, yes, of course, I wanted as high a salary as possible. But my focus really was more around what's my salary going to be in five years? How do I help shape my career now to increase my salary over a five-year period so I can get promoted and I can get to the, the most senior position I can be? And that was the same when I moved to the transaction services team at PwC. It was all about how do I get promoted and, and, and move forwards. I was there for a couple of years without going into lots of detail. I, really still, I still have nothing bad to say about PwC. I had a really great experience, but there were some sort of internal politics and things. And, and, had an op- and, and I was getting slightly frustrated about not necessarily working with entrepreneurs. I was working with some fascinating businesses. Did a six-month project with Jaguar Land Rover, which, you know, and I'm quite into my car. So that was a really exciting and interesting, interesting project for me. But I never really met any of the senior team or senior decision makers or, or actually the entrepreneurs themselves. So I sort of made an internal decision. I wanted to explore what it would be like to work with more entrepreneurs. And that would probably involve leaving PwC. Long story short, I ended up moving to, to an organization called Blue Box, which was a, a boutique corporate finance organization, uh, basically advising clients in, in the lower mid-market. So more entrepreneurs looking to sell their business was primarily what, what we did. And what was the decision behind Blue Box? Because there must have been a range of firms that you could have joined. What was it about? Yeah, again, the introduction was through my network, through someone I yeah. knew in my network, you know, had had a good reputation at the time. Again, a small entrepreneurial team, which fitted my personality. There was a number of things. And yes, there were other options on the table, but I thought that actually this would be a good learning opportunity for me. I didn't know if it was going to be a long-term thing or a short-term thing at the time, uh, but I just thought, again, thinking five years ahead, is this yeah. going to be a good learning opportunity for me? And, and I figured that it was. And, and, and actually, it was a really good decision and, and it was a really good learning opportunity for me. So it was, I was there for three years and it was a, a really fantastic opportunity for me to lead client projects in, in the M&A space. Doing similar work that I was doing back at Lehman's, but actually on much more, much smaller or more entrepreneurial clients, which I really enjoyed. So my first day, I got thrown into a meeting with CEO and CFO, a very well-known uh, hospital uh, group. And, you know, it's like, wow, that, uh, yeah. I've got to try and talk it's to these people. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's real client-facing. So before, obviously, I was client-facing, but I was dealing with kind of quite junior finance staff yeah. rather than actually the people that ran the business. So, yeah, I was there for, for, for three years. Towards the end of that three years, I, again, I, I kind of developed a, a lot more confidence in myself. You know, the fact that I could start bringing in my own work, which I think was a, was yeah. a massive confidence boost for me through my own network. And I'll talk about networking in a little bit. But that was a real confidence boost for me. And I started to become a lot more entrepreneurial myself from having dealt with more entrepreneurial clients and learning what makes a successful business and what doesn't. And I had an opportunity to join Gerald Edelman. We're a mid-market professional services accountancy firm based in London. 
really good growth, good people, good track record, good brand, but not very good in terms of the M&A side of things. We didn't have an M&A dedicated deal advisor or M&A team. We did some transactions work, but it wasn't kind of a dedicated team. So the opportunity was to come on board and basically start up a, a deal advisory or M&A division within Gerald Edelman, which for me was a fantastic opportunity because it was a little bit like having my own business. So that entrepreneurial yeah. box was ticked, but at the same time, having the support of 16, 17 other partners, having an existing firm, existing clients, existing yeah. marketing, HR, IT, infrastructure, et cetera. So that was a really good opportunity for me. And we did that three years ago and three years down the line, we're, we're sitting here today. So currently that's what we do. We again, work with, working with entrepreneurs, basically advising on entrepreneurs looking to sell their business, buy a business, raise some capital for growth. And I feel like the experiences I've had along the way have really helped to get to, to, to where, where I am today. And actually, the key thing I said before, said it before, but is the confidence. It's given me the confidence to know that. Um, that yeah. To achieve that, exactly. Yeah. So, Nick, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you know, you talk a lot about you know, your long term goals and, and you're very focused around that, which is quite a lot of visualisation for you, isn't it? About how this is going to look and feel. Well, how do you grow that? How have you grown that yourself? And how would you recommend other people to start to go on that path to think to stop thinking about the here and now and start really thinking about your future goals? Yeah, I think thinking about what do you want from your career is a, is a really important thing. And you don't have to have all the answers from an early stage. If you'd have asked me when I started at Lehman Brothers or PwC, would you think I'd be a partner at Gerald Edelman in you know, 12 years' time? I probably would have said no. In fact, I'm pretty sure I would have said no. Yeah. So, so you've got to, you know, there's a couple of things. One is kind of thinking about where do you want to get to in your career, but also making sure that you take advantage of opportunities as they come up. But not just opportunities that come get presented to you. You need to go searching for those opportunities as well. And that's one of the things that I've always done is always try to talk to as many people as I can to understand what opportunities there are. Not necessarily opportunities for me in my own personal career, but understanding where what I'm doing fits into other avenues and other practices and, and, and just kind of understanding a lot more about the market and therefore what opportunities are out there. So I can make a comparison to what I'm doing to what else is out there. So I think it's about um, asking for opportunities, opening up the doors to opportunities. One of the key ways I've tried to do that is through my network. When I was at PwC, I I thought I had a very good network. And I did have a very good network, but most of those people were internal to PwC. So, you know, I could tell you the person based in Brazil who focused on tax regime for automotive. You know, that was fantastic. I knew, knew that person. As soon as I left PwC, I realized that actually I didn't have a particularly great network outside of PwC. So I really, really, really focused on building that network. And that in itself helped me get, get the role at Blue Box to start with, and then obviously the role at Gerald Edelman as well. So I would encourage people to build their network. I'm not talking about necessarily going to loads of networking events and sit standing in a room with 100 yeah. people, because I hate doing that. Being honest, I hate doing that. It's more about kind of understanding who you're, who's already in your network, but taking advantage of the people you already know and getting introductions to new people and meeting people. And, and actually, that's really fun, meeting people and having a drink or a breakfast or a coffee or whatever. So it's about asking for opportunities, opening up doors for yourself to get, get those opportunities. But having that long term goal, I think, is really important as well. But I think it's interesting what you say there as well is that you're very open to conversations because you never know what, where that may lead to. And I think, again, a lot of people 
of that open they're pretty close to things like that because they can only see the here and now and it's not going to benefit me now and um, but it, you know from quite a young age you have been open to that and it also meant that you got very uh, you know looking at pwc your promotion record there was quick wasn't it yeah, and again, it, it I think was because you were open to opportunities and to talking to people and, and and you know being there if in in different situations. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, and I think you know personal circumstances do change all the time as well, and that that's a factor in things. So I've got friends now who are parents now, and actually their priorities change around. You know, they're very happy yeah. doing a, doing a certain role because that fits their lifestyle. I'm still very ambitious, and I still want to develop my own career as much as I can. And I think that you know everybody's different and there's no right or wrong, but you don't have to be, you know, work really hard. You don't have to have this sort of network or whatever, but that's helped me and that's really helped to kind of get where I, get where I am today, I think. Good. And it was interesting when we talked about your time at, at Lehman's and, and the amount of hours that you're working, you know, crazy hours, 20, 22 hours a day, which is very normal in that environment, isn't it? And how much has that impacted you to now being a partner, growing your team and, and what your expectations are? Because I think one of the things you said to me in the past that what you've had to try and work on is that your level of expectation is always so high. Uh, which is fantastic, but people have different levels of what is normal and acceptable. So how do you balance that off? Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's very interesting. So my first, I remember my first day at PwC, I was sitting in the office and it was about 7pm. And bearing in mind, I'd been used to working till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And I was sitting there at 7 o'clock and and one of the managers came over to me and said, oh, what are you still doing here? I thought, what do you mean? I'm surely I'm going to be here till at least midnight. Because I didn't know any different. I, did, I never experienced anything else. And I said, no, no, you, you know, you're a, you're a first year. You're doing your exams. You, you know, you can leave at six o'clock. Wow, this is this is amazing. But because I didn't know any different, that's yeah. kind of the, the, that's what I would, my expectation was. So I think it helped with that. It also meant that, as you say, I've got high expectations now. I do still. I don't work nearly as bad hours as as I did then, mm-hmm. but I still I'm still hard working. I feel it's also made me quite efficient as well to make sure that I'm, you know, I know that I've got a certain amount of work to do and and I hate leaving, getting to the end of the day and having something that's sort of half finished. I always try and get something finished so that tomorrow I can start afresh because new things will come in. Otherwise, my workload yeah. will build up. So but that was ingrained in me from my time at Lehman and actually at PwC as well. So that's my expectation of everybody else. Clearly, not everybody is like that. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and, and that, that's good because not everyone, you know, you need a team of people that are different. But at the same time, I do expect people to work hard. I think that's one of my one of my fundamental expectations of people is to work hard. I don't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean doing long hours. That just means, you know, working and getting stuff done as quickly and efficiently as possible and, and working as hard as you can to do that. And, it, and you know, we work in, in the M&A space, emergers and acquisitions. When you have a live transactions completing, you are going to be working longer hours. It's just yeah. it's just a fact. No, I don't want anyone in my team to be working long hours, in myself included, for a consistent period because that's not healthy. And one of the one of the advantages of exactly one of the advantages of not being at Lehman's or one of the big banks is that we can control that a lot better. But at the same time, you know, we you know, want people to, to work hard and make sure that they're focused on on achieving their goals, really. Yeah, but again, you're making it focused around per- people's personal goals. So you know, they're working uh, with you on an acquisition and people want to achieve that and want to bring it to a close, don't they? So that's you know, job satisfaction and connecting it to Absolutely. There, there's, you get a real buzz. You get a real buzz when you complete a transaction you're working on, especially when you've been working kind of long hours to get there. 
so yeah we want, we want people to, to experience that and have that opportunity the other thing is you know when I was you know I've, I've done those long hours in my career and I was doing those long hours because first of all it's a good experience you know I was, I was learning as I was working but also it's that point of actually proving that you can work long hours and, and commitment and and therefore that helps with getting promoted you know if you're, if you're up against someone else for a promotion and someone else leaves at five o'clock every day you know and you're willing to kind of be committed and help to get a project completed naturally you're going to get promoted quicker that doesn't mean that you have to work long hours all the time because that shouldn't work like that and, yeah. and not you know if not everybody can do that for personal reasons but that's that was the kind of the mentality that I had you know it's working those hours so that's kind of what I've been through and therefore I would expect other people to to have that same sort of mentality yeah but I think it I think it's good to for people to know where they stand as well so that you know your these are your expectations and as you've rightly said there everybody's different and you I think one of the things that you and I've talked about as well is diversity and inclusion in your firm and also in your personal team as well and that you really do believe in an inclusive environment and you believe in getting the best people to do the jobs around you and you learn from good people don't you all the time which is why you surround yourself with good people absolutely we are a people business fundamentally you know, clients are buying us as people. They're not really buying Gerald Edelman. Gerald Edelman helps because we've got a brand and a track record, but they're yes. fundamentally, they're buying the people. And therefore, we need to have good people that are working with us. And that's been a real focus for me over the last three years. It's really kind of growing the team, a team that has the right people for the job, regardless of background, yes. anything else. It's the right people for the job. And I feel like we've now got a, a fantastic team that, that can do that. As an organisation, as a firm, we're very focused on diversity and inclusiveness. We've got a dedicated team internally that focuses on that. Yeah. You know, we're an organisation right. with 100, yeah, with 150, 160 people. So it's really, really important that we want to make sure that, that everybody feels in, included and we're, we're one team. We're small enough, everybody can know each other, but we're big enough that we need to, everyone to feel, feel included. My own personal team, you know, we're running, you know, sub-team, we're running a, with eight people. It's a smaller team. But, you know, our focus is having the right people that have the right culture that fit into the team. Um, we're very much, yeah. and I was talking about, you know, working hard, but also very much about playing hard. It's that mentality Absolutely. of work, you know, work hard and having fun as well. And, you know, we had a team day out, Christmas day out, on, you know, a couple of days ago, which was, you know, it was, a, it was a great day and everyone gets on really well. And I think that's, you know, culture is really important. It's having people that you're not necessarily fit in clients. Yes, obviously, they have to work with clients. They have to work yeah. with other people. But actually, working and fitting together in the team is, is, a, is a massive, it's a massive thing. And actually, I think, not in an arrogant way, but actually, we haven't, you know, we've, we've never had anybody leave our team. And I think that people really appreciate that, that culture and that environment that we're trying to create as well. And also, we're growing. I think people like yeah. being part of a team that's growing as well. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? I think that cultural element, as you say, you know, people can work anywhere, can't they, for a period of time and do what they need to do and work as hard as they need to do. But to stay there, you need that strong culture. And that's what keeps people working together with, you know, common goals and, and really focusing on, on making sure that you work in a cohesive manner together. And it sounds like sounds like you've got that right so far. So long may it continue. Yeah, hopefully. As I say, look, I think it's what we offer people at the moment is is because I said, because we're a new, we're a business that's been around for 80 odd years, but we're a new team within that. So you've yeah. got that security of being in an organization that's been around for a long time. But also that entrepreneurial feel of working in a small new team that's growing and the people are helping to contribute to that growth. And I think that I think that's really exciting. I'm probably biased, but I do think that's that's really exciting. 
entrepreneurial as well. Yeah, well, which is one of the things that you, from quite again early on in your career, you were really focused on this entrepreneurial spirit and the fact that you wanted to work with, you know, the smaller clients so that you could have more exposure to the decision makers and the leaders in those organisations. And it's interesting that, you know, you, your career has gone, you now partner and you're still really enjoying that entrepreneurial piece and that and those are the people that you seem to want to bounce off as well so I think that's quite interesting and you know I, I had I've worked with some fantastic on some fantastic transactions with PwC and with some fantastic clients in the FTSE 100 but I've learned more from working with the entrepreneurs over the last sort of six or seven mm-hmm. years of my career not necessarily all positive things you know sometimes it's learning what not, not to, to do, do rather than what, <laughs> what rather than what to do being honest but there's a lot of, I've learned a lot about how to make a business, small business successful and how you make a lot of money from it. And yeah, that for me is, you know, is really powerful because when you sell someone's business that they've been working on for their whole career, their whole lifetime, they've set up, they've taken a risk, they've sold the business and you've helped them to achieve that lifelong aim. And normally, always normally a material amount of money, hopefully towards retirement, that's a very re- rewarding thing. And actually, yeah. Working on billion pound transactions at PwC was fantastic and it was great for my CV. And, you know, it was great to read about the deal in the Financial Times the next day uh, and all that sort of stuff. But actually, I, I, I love the feeling of helping people achieve their life goal. And yeah. you know, sometimes pre-COVID, we used to um, sometimes walk down to with our clients after a transaction had completed and walk with them to the to the bank and let them check their bank balance and see how to the cash point and see how see how happy they were and, and you know that sort of feeling is is really really powerful and really rewarding I think yeah that's, that's and that's really, that entrepreneurial really thing good. yeah 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 the feeling like you've had you've really had an impact on somebody's life is it's amazingly powerful isn't it it's really interesting because when I was when I was in audit again a fantastic experience in audit but but audit is by its nature something that clients have to do when you're a certain size you have to yeah. have an audit a lot of the time, the finance teams that we were working with did not want auditors there. They wanted to do their job. They didn't want us there. I actually had one time where a client saw me coming and hid under her table. She didn't want to talk to me. You know, so that's kind of what I was going through. Now we're, we're working with clients who, who really value what we do because they're help, we're helping them to achieve that life goal. And I think that's, that's a really nice story to tell where clients want to work with us and want to pay us money to help them do what, yeah. what they do and I, I personally really enjoy that and I love doing doing deals and you know as naturally as my career has developed I do more kind of what I call internal admin so dealing on the HR side of things the recruitment yeah. side of that sort of thing and I like doing that I also do more networking business development so I'm out of the office a lot more talking to people and especially pre-COVID and meeting people but I still love doing deals and I would always make sure that I'm you know always doing deals as well because yeah. I, 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 I just love doing that that's what your passion is, isn't it? So, like you say, you want Absolutely. you want to grow your team, grow the business, grow the firm. But you yeah. you, you love getting uh, the the face to face contact, which makes a difference. Yeah. So, just out of interest, how have you found not having the face to face contact over COVID? Because I would imagine, as you say, you know these people that you're dealing with, you know these are their their firms, their babies that you know they they don't want to just get anybody to work with to help them get the sale I would imagine it's a very personal relationship and it is harder to build those relationships over team zoom and how have you found that have you had to adapt to your style and technique you know it's very interesting because when we went into the pandemic sort of whatever it was 20 20, 21 months ago I wasn't particularly worried about 
what's going to happen to M&A. Because I knew that deals would still get done. They always yeah. would get done. There might have been a lag for four or five months, which there was, but I knew the deals would get done. I was more worried about how clients or companies would appoint an advisor to help sell yeah. their business without having met them. Because meeting people was such an important part of what we did. Most of our work comes from some kind of referral from someone. And actually, you have to, you're, you're buying, as I said before, you're buying into people. So it's really yeah. important. So that was my biggest worry. Actually, it's Teams and Zoom and, and channels like that. The video calling channels have been have been fantastic for us. And I think there's been a, a realisation that people, you couldn't meet people. <laughs> and actually, this was as good as it was going to be. Yes, we had to refine our style. And we had to, you know, when you're meeting people, you can talk a lot more about non-work stuff. And you don't really do that on a Zoom and a team. So we had to refine our style and make our, in inverted commas, sales pitch a bit more succinct to do it over Teams and Zoom. But fundamentally, it didn't really change. We still had the same referrals, which was fantastic. We just spoke to clients differently. And actually, we had completed a few transactions last year and earlier this year where we never met the client. We never met the client. We never met the buyers. That we never met amazing. the lawyers. Was, everything was done remotely. And I think that has been a real a real boost for the whole M&A industry. And I think people soon realise that deals can be done remotely. As, as an example, we used to, every time there was a deal completion, everybody used to, you know, both sides, so buyer, seller, lawyers on both sides, advisors on both sides, used to come into the one of the lawyers' offices. And it was basically a whole day of signing all the paperwork and it would take ages and then eventually you'd finish the day with a glass of champagne, which when you completed the transaction, sometimes it was late in the late, late at night or early in the morning, <laughs> but when you completed the transaction, it was that great feeling you have a glass of champagne. There was yeah. nothing like that feeling of all being together. Now, it's a lot more efficient because everything happens remotely. Everyone just signs, <laughs> something, through, you know, signs something through a computer and it happens within yeah. half an hour. But you don't necessarily get that same buzz that you had before, but, but it's yeah. a lot more efficient. So there's pros and cons. But actually it hasn't, touch wood it hasn't necessarily impacted us and, our, and the ability and we asked you know the last six months we've done a lot more face-to-face meetings and i think face-to-face is is the way we will go back because i think it's a lot more powerful but what we're seeing in the same way you know for our clients and talking to buyers what we're seeing is that the first meeting tends to be virtual so the first meeting will now okay. be through teams or through zoom you kind of sound out, you know, is this someone I want to work with? You know, they meet us and we do our sales pitch and they go, mm, is this someone I want to work with? And if it is, then we do the face-to-face. So it's it's trying to keep that a bit more efficient, whereas before you'd run straight to the face-to-face and actually it can be a bit of a, you know, a time-wasting. It's just you've got to travel an hour there, you know, yeah. it takes out half a day. Whereas so now we've got, and same with, with, with our clients who are mainly sellers, you know, with, with buyers, we might have that initial meeting on Teams or Zoom and then if they like it, then they'll go and do the face-to-face meeting. They'll, they'll with, do the yeah. travel and they'll move forward from there. So mm-hmm. that tends so to be what, what we're seeing. Yeah. So you'll think that will continue then? Do you think it will continue like that? As you say, the face-to-face is so important. So there will be continuing with that element, but also potentially the first meetings through some yes. kind of yeah, conference. Thing. I think so. What, so. About, I think... what about the signing, though? Do you think that will get back to everyone being in a room together? I think it depends. I think, you know, I think where everybody's around the corner or based in central London. Yeah, we may we may do it, you know, in person. But I think, you know, where people are based overseas or different parts of the country, I think, you know, it's going to stay with us. That it, will be, it will be all virtual. It's very interesting because we sold a business, a medical devices business earlier this year, and the buyer was based in Sweden. So when we agreed the terms of the deal, the buyer said to us, you know, we're not going to complete this transaction until we've met. You know, everything was done online, but we want to have a face-to-face meeting. And this was in February. 
you know, and obviously the thought of flying over from to any country or from any country was just non-existent. Yeah. So we were trying to find a way to not have to isolate and all this sort of stuff. And it was almost impossible. So what we decided was why don't they have the buyer and the seller have you know, an hour on, on Zoom once a week. They get to know each other. They don't talk about the deal. They just get to know each other, you know, so without any advisors there. And that worked really well because actually they probably spent more time with each other than they would have done in a, they would have come over for a day and spent six, seven hours. But actually over the course of three months, they probably spent more time. And then when it came to doing a factory tour, literally the factory manager had his phone and did a, you know, had his phone and he was looking around and everyone could see the factory. And and that was what it was. And in the end, they said that actually we don't need to meet the team and we will do the deal without having met them. So that sort of worked quite well yeah. because at the time there was, there was no visibility. No other way around it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like it. So, solution focused. That's always very good, isn't it? There's always a way yeah. around these things. Exactly. Fantastic. Exactly. And uh, so what, talk to me about the highlights of your career then, because there's lots of really positives in, you know, from even your time at Lehman's to present. What would you class as being your highlights? You know, I think getting the internship at Lehman's was a highlight for me because it was a massive process of six interviews to go through. And mm-hmm. it was very competitive at the time, particularly as, you know, I went to a, a, a good university. I went to the University of Nottingham. But a lot of the people there were going from from Oxford and Cambridge and from LSE and and foreign universities as well. So so that was a that was a career highlight. I think getting promoted to manager early at PwC was also a, a highlight for me. I think probably you know when I was at Blue Box and and actually winning my first piece of work myself was a, probably a career highlight because it just gave me a huge confidence boost that actually I had my own network and actually people were referring and introducing work to me. And I think the biggest highlight really is, is kind of the success of the last three years and, and setting up and taking a bit of a risk, if I'm being honest, because I didn't know how it was going to play out. But setting up a, the, the deal advisory function at Gerald Edelman and uh, yeah, that, that's an, and a success that we've had, particularly given start the first year was Brexit and then it was COVID. And, you know, we've had some difficult economic times. So I think that's been probably the, the, the biggest highlight for me. That's amazing. If you make a success in those sort of times when things get back to the normal, wow, it's going to be amazing, isn't it? Just well, hopefully. I mean, I think I think the last year in particular, the the there was a lot of pent up demand in in deals, yeah. a lot of cash out there, and I think we're sort of riding a wave at the moment. So we've had a really successful year, and I'm hoping obviously that will continue. And I think it's a general feeling in the market that there's it's it's very busy and it will continue. But you never know. Our market is very up and down. So we had four or five months last year where there was very little activity. So you never know. That's why you make the most of it now, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And what about challenges then? When you look back, and um, what do you think have been your challenges and, and you know, how have you learned from those and, and adapted and changed? Yeah, I think I struggled at, at times at PwC because I was such a small cog in a pretty much massive wheel. And being in the in Snorban's office to start with helped with that because it was a it was a smaller wheel, but I was still a tiny cog and sort of not being able to influence things, you know, as as much as I would would have liked to so that that was probably a challenge transitioning to the transactions team at the start was a challenge for me because as I said before I didn't necessarily have the skill set um the technical skill set to do that and I think there was a lot of people around me who were more junior than me but had a much better technical skill set and I think it took a little bit of time to adapt to that whilst I built up that skill set but I also knew that I had a lot of skills that they didn't have around the managerial side of things as well a challenge for me is is kind of as I said before is you know working with some fantastic people, but when people are different, and it's not a bad thing that people are different. In fact, it's a very good thing. But just have understanding that everybody is different. Not everybody has the same kind of experience as me, and therefore that's the same work ethic as me. I think the other challenge was was kind of leaving PwC and realizing that 
you know, my network was pretty much non-existent. So really, really trying to build my network and spending yeah. as much time as I could to do that. And one of my sort of takeaways really for when I talk to people kind of starting their career now is, is you're never too early to you're never too early in your career to start building your network because you never know what's going to happen. You know, having a good network creates opportunities. So you're never too early to start building your network with all sorts of people. It doesn't necessarily have to be, it can be people that you went to university with, it can be people you start your career with, it can be people that your family, friends, it can be friends of your parents, it can be whoever it is, you know, once you're in a professional career, never too young in your career to start a network. And I think that I wish I'd kind of had that advice sort of seven or eight years before I, I sort of learned that myself. So that's probably been a challenge. But it's say I've really focused on that in the last six or seven years. Yeah, I think that's really great advice as well, because as you were mentioning you know, throughout your career, taking advantage of opportunities and you can only do that if you've got a network around you, because otherwise, where do you start? And it's very, very difficult, isn't it? And I think Absolutely. You know, a lot of people are coming through now and looking at future careers. I think that's great advice to give them. And as you say, if you'd known that seven or eight years ago, then maybe you would have been a partner in 10 years instead of 12. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I think the other the other thing that I... Well, just before I started my internship at Lehman Brothers, one of the senior guys at Lehman's actually said to me, one piece of advice I have for you is whenever you're doing a piece of work, make sure you know how and why you're adding value. And at the time, I thought, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't even know what that means, whatever. But actually, I think that's also been really, really, it's kind of, it's been, it's resonated with me a lot in my career because there's a lot of times where you're doing something and you're for the sake of it and you're kind of not really thinking about just doing it because that's what they did last year or that's what my manager's yeah. told me to do. But actually, if you know why you're doing it and how it's adding value to internal team, to clients, to whoever, you can then challenge it and kind of go, well, actually, if this is what we want to get out of it, why don't we do it like this? Or have we thought about this? Or actually, why don't we do it this way? You know, And, and actually, that is how you progress in your career, by yeah. being innovative, by creating opportunities. But also, you know, at all times, knowing how and why you're adding value. I think that's another piece of advice I, I, I had really for myself. Good. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really good point, actually. And, and you're right, people just do the same thing because it's always been done that way. And there are always going to be different ways, hopefully better, sometimes not, but you learn and that's how exactly. you get personal development. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Our discussion today then. So when you look at where Gerald Edelman's going and where your, your particular piece of the business is going, it sounds to me like there's just going to be lots of positivity coming through into the markets and you know that you guys want to really take advantage of that what would you say is a a good culture fit for for you and for your firm and team at the moment if people are looking and they think gosh that's where I want to be what would the culture be like yeah I think it's as I said before it's the work hard play hard culture we want people that are you know willing to to work hard but also you know want to have some fun we want people that you know we want to maintain a good work-life balance we want people that are you know smart and technical but I think one of the most important skills to be successful in what we do in, in the deal advisory world or corporate finance world is to be good with people yeah. so making sure that you are interpersonal your interpersonal skills are really good so you can talk to clients you can talk to your team you can talk to senior people in your organization you can talk to junior people you can manage people when you can manage that. So project management, interpersonal skills are two of the key skills we look for. And from a culture perspective, it's about, I say, work hard, play hard. And it's about people that want to get stuck in and people that are ambitious 
and people want to entrepreneurial and help shape the future growth of our business. And I think fundamentally, if you can tick all those boxes, we've got opportunities and we, you don't, don't necessarily need to be the first from Oxford. That's not, you know, that's not at all. Yeah. It's more for us. It's more about, yes, we, we want people that have got good experience. Yeah, and bright that. as well. Yeah. yeah, bright. Yeah, exactly. Because I'll fundamentally what we do is, is technical, but it's more about having a good fit and a good culture and I say, you know, being able to talk to and present to clients and internally. That's some, uh, well, I think there's been some great words of wisdom throughout that. Definitely the networking piece, I think, has, has really resonated with me and making sure that you start your networks as soon as possible when you get into the working world and even before then, even from a university time. And then yeah. the add value piece and so look at questioning why you are doing things so that you can find hopefully a better way and add value to your organisation, which is what everybody wants to do these days, which is fantastic. Absolutely. So thank you, yeah. Nick. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really interesting uh, conversation with you and look Absolute forward pleasure. to it soon. Take yeah, care. Yeah, thanks, Nikki. Thank you.